2: There's a gleam, man. There's a gleam.
1: Let's get the gleam. All right, Tommy's with me today. And as, uh, you know, occasionally happens between the radio show and the podcast, there's news. And the news this morning is sad news, um, but expected news based on what we learned late last week that Marty Schottenheimer passed away. Uh, this morning after dealing with Alzheimer's disease for several years. He was 77 years old, um, and he had moved into a hospice facility uh, near his home in Charlotte uh, late last week. And we talked a little bit about Marty, I think you and I did on the podcast on Thursday. Um, And you said that you talked to some people in, in anticipation of this that played on that 2001 team, which I regard and have said many, many times over the years to you um, and to those that have listened to us many times over the years, I think that that was Dan Snyder's single biggest football mistake was moving on from uh, Marty Schottenheimer after the 2001 season, a season that started 0-5 and then turned around with them winning eight of their final 11 games with Tony Banks and Kent Graham at quarterback.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't recall... Uh, a season that a fan base, an eight and eight season that a fan base reveres more than than, than that eight and eight season. I mean, it really was like uh, it, in a twenty year storm, that brief moment where <laughs> where the sun shone and people remember it, and they they'll never they, if if you live through it. I don't think uh, the only thing that will you that will forget it. Is eventually some kind of legitimate success for this franchise, but as uh, until that happens, two thousand and one will live on as the the missed opportunity for everyone
1: I think your column, which you're going to write um, the the way you just described it, the missed opportunity. Is accurate. I think, and I'm. This is not meant to be self-serving at all, or, uh, at all. But I think you're influenced and have been influenced by my feelings about Marty Schottenheimer and that one season. I don't think that most, you know, Washington football fans will would tell you. That's just the most incredible eight and eight season of all time. Because Joe Gibbs's first year was probably as incredible an eight and eight season as all time as as Marty's eight and eight season. But it was the lost opportunity. It was the feeling that not everybody had. Tommy, this is where I think you might be a little bit off. I don't think every fan thought that Marty Schottenheimer was on the verge of turning it around. There were a lot of people that thought
2: the one fan who who counted was the owner.
1: Well, yes, he did, and and he didn't want it to continue. I'm just saying, I think the way you described it is with your columnist hat on, looking. I think the better angle is the lost opportunity. I'm not going to, I'm not here to try to tell you how to do your job, but I don't think an overwhelming percentage of the fan base thinks about 2001 in the same way that I and others do. I think many of us feel that way, but I recall. Very vividly, two thousand one. I had friends that were like, "Fuck him!" This season, this was a disaster. It was fake. You know, Daryl Green couldn't stand him. Bruce Smith couldn't stand him. You know, these were this was the early days of of Snyder. Nobody knew how bad he really was. I mean, two thousand was a disaster, but we hadn't really gotten the full Snyder impact. You know, in 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 feeling yet. Um we you know there I'll I'll be the first to admit I was still in that mm, he wants to spend money he just has to learn how to spend it wisely.
2: But you're talking about the mood of a fan base in 2001. I'm talking about any any fans who lived through 2001 and look back on it now. Okay. They look back on that season as the missed opportunity. There is hardly a ripple among fans who think that, that Marty was not the key to changing this team around, not in 2001, but now.
1: Okay, that's, that's, Fans who that's lived fair. Through it. That's fair. And, uh, yeah.
2: and you know what? Fans weren't the only ones. Uh, the two of the players I talked to uh, were defensive backs, David Terrell and Sam Shade.
1: Yeah, I remember and Sam Shade.
2: both of them were convinced that they had turned things around and were on the road to success. And were so disappointed when, when Marty left. Just crushed when Marty left. Uh, because they felt the same way the fan base did. They saw after that 0-5 start, uh, you know, after about two or three wins, the whole team was buying in, they said. And uh, I mean, I remember, Joe Gibbs' 0-5 start and wound up 8-8 it was with Joe Theismann, a the quarterback, not Tony Banks.
1: Yeah, I, I understand so, that. I understand that.
2: So, I mean, what Marty accomplished, I think, was was more significant. And uh, you know what? I think what we're also forgetting is the Steve Spurrier factor. But the players haven't. Uh, David Terrell said even before the season started, they had heard that what the owner was infatuated with Spurrier and wanted him to coach his team. And they felt it wasn't so much what Marty did or didn't do. It was the owner's obsession with Spurrier. And they said that kind of hung over the team that year. That was the only inkling they had because they both told me, well, uh, David Trail told me, Marty did not let on at all to the locker room that there was any problem with the owner and him. He coached, they said he coached the same way every day. And they had—they really didn't have any inkling about the tension between the owner and and Marty, but they did have an inkling about the owner wanting to hire Steve Spurrier.
1: It's just—it's nuts when you think about it, right? I mean, he had committed to Marty as his head coach, coach centric. You know, long before the Ron Rivera thing was coach centric, Marty had all the control. Marty got rid of, you know, Vinny, you know, told Fred Drasner, one of the minority owners, that he didn't have a parking spot in the Ashburn parking lot anymore. Those were for coaches and players. Um, and he kept Dan completely out of it. I think, you know, just out of curiosity, why Sam Shade and David Terrell?
2: Well, those were the guys I could get.
1: Uh, who did you, tr- who did you, <laughs> you know, try to I don't have a,
2: a Rolodex with every phone number from 2001. Uh, those were guys I managed to get in contact with.
1: Um, did you try to get in touch with LeVar Arrington? No, I didn't. I think his no. perspective... I mean,
2: I, I don't want to talk to LeVar Arrington. Why? Come on. Why? No, because he's a blowhard.
1: Oh, I think his perspective I mean, I talked on... <clears throat> to some players, real players. What do you mean, LeVar Arring... Arring... He was a blowhard. LeVar Arrington was a burgeoning star, and I think he would have I know that, being... but he
2: was still a blowhard. <clears throat> And he still is a blowhard.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I don't know him very well. What do you mean still is? What does that mean? He's not on radio anymore.
2: He's not? I thought he was on the NFL Network.
1: I haven't seen him on He's the... He's not N- on
2: the Weather Channel? I have seen him on the Weather Channel? I, have,
1: I honestly... I actually didn't think he did that bad uh, of a job on the NFL Network, but I haven't seen him on the NFL Network. Maybe he is on the NFL Network. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but it
2: might I, be on C-SPAN. I'm
1: not sure. But I think, you know, first of all, Arrington's play against the Panthers totally turned that season around. Yes, it did. And I do think that Arrington was one of the young players that bought in before, you know, anybody else did, you know, at the objection of the older players. And I think that that was probably an interesting dynamic. You know, Daryl Green and Bruce Smith, you know, uh, versus guys like Arrington and champ Bailey and Antonio Pierce who were buying in. Um, but it sounds like, you know, David Terrell was a young player. Sam shade was a younger player. Um, but it was just, it was an interesting mix. Like, it was really the year of here comes the new guy. And oh, by the way, the new guy is a dictator. And the new guy doesn't think any of the old guys, no matter how much success they had like three coaches ago, and in Daryl Green's case, it would have been two coaches ago, um, he doesn't care because they've sucked for several years now and he's going to turn it around. And he doesn't need. Uh, you know, affirmation from you know future Hall of Famers, which he didn't. He told Daryl Green to no. get back and return punts in practice, and and was you know uh, critiquing him on his form. Told Bruce Smith to get in in the Oklahoma drill. Um, you know, the, the older guys couldn't stand him. They had you know with Norv, Let's face it, Norv had a little bit of Jay Gruden and Steve Spurrier in him. It was easy, absolutely. You yeah, know, it, it was a country club.
2: For, for with with Norv, uh, here's what uh, here's what uh, David Terrell said about that. Uh, he Marty was old school coaching. He didn't care if you were a paid superstar or whatever. If you went out and practiced, practiced the techniques they taught you, and played the way you wanted to put that they wanted you to play, you would be out there whether you were a no name guy like me or one of the superstars. He wanted guys who were going to go out there and play for him. And, by the way, David Trell says, I would have run through a wall for Marty.
1: I think that that's and how. Sam Shade,
2: and, and Sam Shade says the things that Marty taught him, uh, he's been a coach on and off in various jobs over the years. The things that Marty taught him, he, he brings to every coaching job. He said the same thing. He swears by Marty. It changed his life. Marty coaching him.
1: I th- I think that's the way Lavar Errington felt is that he would have run through a wall for the guy. Um you know, I don't know that for sure, but I remember hearing him a few years after I think I had him on my show You know, this was before he got into radio on the other station and then uh, started to make fun of all of us on the other station. Um, Whatever. I don't care about that. Um, But I, I remember him saying that, you know, he had totally bought in. And, you know, that's what you're looking for. You know, when you're a new coach somewhere, you're looking for your best players to buy in. Um, and I thought LeVar had one of his best seasons. I know that under Marvin Lewis in Spurrier's first year, LeVar had his best year sack wise. You know, that was that 2002 season was LeVar's best sack year. But the 2001 year, he was in coverage a bunch. And I remember he was just an unbelievable cover guy. In addition to being, you know, uh, a guy that could get after the passer, but um, that that interception against Carolina ended the ended the zero five start. Uh, they were down fourteen nothing at the time. It kept them from falling to zero and six. Um, and it turned the season around. They went on a five game winning streak. They won games on the road in Denver and Philadelphia against good football teams. Their defense became nasty. Um, and they were back in the playoff chase amazingly, losing their first five, winning their next five. And then I'll never forget, they played the Cowboys at home as a five and five team looking to go six and five. And they had gone from like an 0 and five team to now like a 10 point favorite against the Cowboys at home. And the Cowboys had at quarterback. Um, that day, Quincy Carter, remember Quincy Carter got into a lot of that oh, yeah. d- drug trouble and ended up out of the league <clears throat> and um, they lost the game and somehow they lost that game and it was a devastating loss because the expectation was they were going to roll through the Cowboys. They were going to roll through, you know, I think they played the Cardinals the following week and they were, they were going to be in the hunt to be a wild card team, if not a division winner. And then they had a huge game against the Eagles that they lost, and then I'll never forget the game that really was the final chance for them to you know, get back into the playoff chase. They played the Bears at home. The Bears were good, really good that year. Um, and uh, Brian Urlacher. Um, caught a pass from the field goal holder on a fake field goal um, for a touchdown to give Chicago the lead in the fourth quarter. Washington was up in the game. Chicago was an excellent team that year. Um, they had, um, uh, I forget, I, to be honest with you, I think they were just an excellent defense more than anything else, but with Erlacher and some of those guys. Uh, but they, uh, they, they had a fake field goal. That gave them the lead in the fourth quarter, and that ended up winning the game um, for the Bears. And, and that knocked the Skins out of contention. But hell of a year. And, you know, it's interesting because we talked about this last week. Tom Flores did get into the Hall of Fame, which, you know, as I mentioned to you last week, if Tom Flores gets into the Hall of Fame, I think Mike Shanahan will get into the Hall of Fame. Um, and I think Marty Schottenheimer deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I think the big difference, obviously, is that Flores won two Super Bowls. Mike won two Super Bowls. Mike was considered an innovator um, with the zone run scheme. But Marty's regular season record is much better than either one of those two dudes. And you know, and even though he did not have the playoff success, man, he was always in the playoffs in three different well, locations.
2: Mike, we, we, we compared him to George Allen in, in a right. lot of ways. Yeah. You we, know, uh, tremendous regular season. Now, I know George Allen is considered more of an innovator.
1: Yeah, th- yeah of obviously, course. Obviously,
2: with special teams and stuff, uh, and, and some of the defenses. But, uh, Marty's coaching tree is remarkable. Bill Cowher, Tony Dungy.
1: Oh, yeah. Bruce
2: Arians. They all coach for Marty at one point.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, his direct, you know, from his staff, the guy that had the most success was Bill Cowher. You know, Bill right. Cowher left Marty in Cleveland, went on, and obviously, you know, won a Super Bowl. Um, but uh, I want to say on that stuff, I had the the coaching tree up the other day. I've got to, I've got to get it back up. But I think Dungey was on that tree. You said Arians. What about Mike McCarthy? Was he off? Hold on. I
2: don't know if he was or not.
1: Hold on, I gotta pull that up. I don't know. Here it is. Here it is. Marty Schottenheimer, you know, first okay. layer of the tree, guys that actually coached directly for Marty. Lindy Infante, Bill Cower, Tony Dungy, Gunther Cunningham, Herm Edwards, Mike McCarthy, Cam Cameron, Tony Sperano, Hugh Jackson, Bruce Arians, Rob Chajinski, Mark Tressman. I mean, and then off of those trees, you get down, but yeah, right. I mean the 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 Super Bowl winning coach was a Marty Schottenheimer. Um, you know, coaching tree guy in Bruce Arians. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Now, let me just go back to LeVar Arrington for a second, just so everyone is clear. I think LeVar Arrington's one of the greatest athletes I've ever seen on a football field, okay? And he had a good NFL career. And I think, I mean, he, I thought he was actually part of the, I, I, he had a disappointing NFL career because I think he could have done a lot better. Given his talent, now I know he was injured. I think I I had greater expectations for him because he was as talented as anyone ever saw. Well, we all did coming out of college, you know. But uh, but you know, I think he got. Look, I think he gets too much attention for for uh, an average career.
1: I you know, I I wouldn't even. I I totally agree with you. I I, so
2: I mean, I have no. But that doesn't mean that I don't think he would not be a great quote.
1: That doesn't mean that I don't think he would be a great quote for Marty. Well, I think he was a big – I think that Marty leaving impacted his career. I think if he had been with Marty, um, you know, he – I think that he would have had a phenomenal career. Phenomenal career. He
2: may – yeah, he may have. Because Marty – I mean, these two guys I talked to, they talked about how Marty coached them off the field. I
1: mean, he could have been Marty's Derek Thomas.
2: Made them both a better man. I mean, they just raved about the influence Marty had on their lives, not just the, you know, their football careers. So maybe he would have had that kind of impact on LeVar Arrington uh, to keep him focused on what was important.
1: Look at this, Tommy. Yeah. Somebody just sent this to me. I think it's real. Yeah, because more than one person has sent it to me. Um, obituaries, Washington Post, written by Matt Schottel. The t- the, here's the headline, and I know that he doesn't necessarily write the headline. Marty Schottenheimer, NFL coach whose teams wilted in the postseason, dies at 77. How classless a headline oh, that let is. Let me
2: tell you about the post, if you remember right. How
1: classless a headline Nobody, is that?
2: No, that's, 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 the one, that's a terrible headline. The writer didn't write it, though. I know. Yeah, I mean, we both know that. I don't know if you remember this, but nobody in this town led the parade for Steve Spurrier more than the Washington Post.
1: I don't remember that. Share, share that with me.
2: Oh, they did everything they could to drum Marty out. They were on oh, the yeah. Spurrier bandwagon.
1: They didn't like Marty at all. And, nobody did. Nobody no, in the media liked Marty.
2: No. no. They, and, but, but the Post led the parade. They led the Spurrier parade. I mean, they thought it was the greatest idea in the world. That, that the owner and, and urged the owner and, and, and pressured the owner, not that he needed any pressure, he loved it too, to hire Spurrier. And you know what? You can put that one right in the same category as Freddie Adu and Tamir Goodman among the post uh, campaigns uh, for sports figures. It was a joke. And, and let me tell you something else. Back then and this is the honest the honest to God truth, the post was almost a house organ for Snyder, the sports section. It was not the antagonistic relationship there is now. No, 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 no. Uh, look, he sent a birthday cake to the press box for Mike Wilbon. Tony went with the owner backstage to see the Rolling Stones. No, 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 no,
1: no. No, I know, I
2: know some, was, I,
1: I know some of those guys definitely spent time with Snyder, Wilbon, and Tony in particular. Yes. They, you know, they told and, me about and it. The, and yeah. the
2: coverage. The coverage of the team was, was what Snyder wanted it to be.
1: Yeah, that didn't last long, though.
2: No, it didn't. Well, because Snyder's such a self-destructive fool.
1: Right. But that is really, I know he doesn't write the uh, the headline, but whoever did, th- that's, that's about as classless a headline or as clueless a headline as, Look, his teams did. Wilt. <laughs> they did Wilt in the postseason. It's accurate, um, but clueless as to what Marty Schottenheimer really was, and and his impact on the game, um, and how much he won. It really. I know I've I've gone through this before, and and I won't spend a lot of time going through it now. You know, he led his teams to the postseason 13 times, coached in three AFC championship games, two with the Browns, one with the Chiefs. Um, But my God, did he have bad luck in the postseason. I mean, I I do think in remembering those games, um, I absolutely do think that Marty Schottenheimer coached at times way too conservatively, which is what they said, Tommy, about George Allen as well that when he got yes. to the biggest games that he coached too conservatively and i think marty had in many of those cases the superior team to the team that he lost to in the postseason but you had john elway with a 99 yard drive to force overtime and then mosley um you know missed uh, a uh, missed one no, I think he missed one in overtime or missed one in the, in regulation. Remember, Mosley was kicking for those 86 Cleveland Browns that advanced to the AFC Championship game in Cleveland against Denver, the game that was the drive. You, you remember that, right? Mark Mosley was the kicker on that I team. I had not
2: remembered that, no.
1: And Mosley had kicked the week before a field goal in double overtime to beat the Jets. But he had missed a bunch of kicks in that game, too. I'm pulling up the box score from both of these games. Mosley, Mosley missed three field goals in the Jets game the week before, but kicked the game winner um, in overtime, in, in the second overtime, to beat the Jets 23-20 to advance to the AFC title game. And that was where they played Denver. Um, Mosley, hold on for one second. Did he miss a kick in that game? No, he was two for two in that game. He did not miss a kick in that game. Um, But, you know, in a game in which defensively Cleveland was great, um, Elway had Tommy. Elway in that game was like at 180 yards passing tops, and then on the final drive drove him 99 yards um, in uh, in over uh, to force overtime, they lose that game. The next year is the Ernest Biner fumble as he's getting ready to go in to give Cleveland the AFC Championship game in Denver. Um, it was really one bad you know luck a- after another. Um, he had a kicker uh, twice missed short field goals once to win it, once to force overtime, and then in his final. Um, playoff game um, in 2006 against the Patriots when they were a 14 and two team. They were the number one seed, and late in that game, uh, they've got a uh, they've got the lead, um, and there's an interception. And I'm I'm pulling up the box score just so I remember specifically who it was who had the interception. Um, Marlon McCree had an interception, and on his run back, uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, Marlon McCree had uh, an interception on his run back. He fumbled the ball away, and New England got it back, and Brady drove him down the field, and they ended up winning the game (laughs) 24-21. Awful. Just awful.
2: Yeah. You know, the the one thing that surprised me in talking to these guys who played on that 2001 team was uh, that the possibility exists That if Spurrier was not available, do you think that Snyder would have lived with Marty?
1: No, I don't. Um, I think the Spurrier thing obviously made it very easy for Snyder. But the stories I've heard over the years from, from people who would know, and I think you've heard some of the same things, is it was a miserable year for Snyder. You know, there he was the year before in 2000 buying every free agent that he could buy, um, totally immersed in the operations of the football team, getting all the attention for signing all of these big names, um, them being actually one of the preseason favorites in 2000 to win the Super Bowl. Um, And then the season fell flat on its ass. He fires Norv at the end of the year and, you know, he... Decides to go basically the opposite of North, but that was not fun for him. He did not. Marty would not let Dan participate.
2: I, I know all that. I know all that. But but if you're if you're home without a date and no girl will have you,
1: you go stay. There's you, a big you difference by between
2: home being home without a date. And the girl you want out there wants to go out with you.
1: He would have found somebody else. He would have found somebody else. I mean, he was paying big money. You know, he would have found yeah. somebody else. The, the The minority owners hated him, especially Drasner. Snyder, did, I, from what I've heard, Snyder didn't hate him as much as Drasner did. Uh, Snyder actually respected Marty and they got along, but he was very upfront and said, I want to be back involved. And Marty said, if you do, I'm not going to coach for you anymore. And so the, it, it ended up being, you know, a borderline mutual thing. But obviously Snyder had his, you know, his eyes on the next, you know, best looking blonde in the bar, which was Spurrier and 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 made his move. It was, um, I mean, seriously, I'll be honest with you. I was devastated. I was pissed. At the same time, I'd be disingenuous and be lying if I didn't tell you that the Spurrier thing wasn't intriguing to me but uh, but i was a I was definitely in the marty camp and i wasn't working in the media and so i didn't have the relationship that some in the media had i remember listening to sports talk radio our station 980 and nobody liked marty and i and i remember yeah. thinking to myself are you guys nuts look what he's doing with what he has like this but is the, nobody
2: uh, like <clears throat> nobody in the media liked george allen either same thing nobody They hated him.
1: It's too bad. It would have been really interesting to see how it would have played out. I would have been – look, when you look at his career, it it, would be almost impossible not to say that they wouldn't have gone to the playoffs a bunch. Why? Because he did it everywhere he went. Every single place he went, he won double-digit games, won divisions, and went to the playoffs. You know, in Cleveland, three straight division titles. Uh, you know, 12 and 4, 10, and f- uh, 10 and 5, 10 and 6 his last three years. Remember, 87 was the, uh, was the scab year, so they played one less game. Two AFC title uh, games, both lost. In Kansas City, um, he went uh, every single year except for two years in Kansas City he went to the playoffs 8-7 and won the first year no playoffs then playoffs, playoffs 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 with one AFC title game when they lost uh to Jim Kelly and the Bills in 93 um and then w- then they went 9 and 7 and then went 13 and 3 and lost to Denver god that was a painful loss they lost to uh Denver in the 97 97- um, playoffs, um, at home to, uh, to Mike. Uh, that was the, the 97, uh, the, the, that was one of the years the Broncos ended up going, I think they beat Pittsburgh that year, went back to the Super Bowl. Um, right. I think so. Uh, and then his final year was seven and nine fired there. They had one losing season in Kansas City. None in Cleveland, not one losing season in Cleveland. And in San Diego, he went 8 and 8 4 and 12, 12 and 4 playoffs, 9 and 7 no playoffs, 14 and 2 lost in the playoffs and AJ Smith fired him after yeah. going 14 and 2. There was a shelf life to Marty. There's no doubt about that, right? He did eventually get to the point where he was a bit much to deal with. But not one year. Snyder nope. could Snyder could have gone at least five with them. Um, they would have gone to the playoffs. Too bad. Too bad. They would one division. You know,
2: did, did Snyder have a yacht then? Maybe if he had a yacht, he he wouldn't have cared so much.
1: Yeah, um, crazy. The whole thing was crazy. I'm, I'm, you know, it, it's iron. It's ironic, right? Um, when Marty got fired in San Diego, he was replaced with Norv Turner. You know, Norv took over his team um, and ended up, um, you know, a, a, I forget if it was the, the next year or the year after that, but I think it might have been the next year. Norv's first year in San Diego after taking over for Marty went to the AFC Championship game with Phillip Rivers playing on that torn ACL um, in that game that they lost. Um, Norv actually took, you know, that those Marty teams to the playoffs three times in a row as well. Uh, anyway... Rest in peace, Marty Schottenheimer. Uh, terrible, terrible headline in the Post. Um, really, really, um, incredibly off base. Um, and uh, you know, I'm not going to go overboard. It's a, it's a headline writer. Um, I know it's not the, 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 the writer of the story, but that's something an editor, editor should have picked up on, right, Tommy or not? Does an editor look at the headlines?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know the editing process anymore at the Post. They have a lot of money, so I'm sure they're still. Multiple editing things that uh, an article would go through, yeah, uh, and that's—I mean, it's not an inaccurate headline.
1: No, I said it's not inaccurate. It's just so I it, don't know if an it's, editor it's, would change it. It's classless and it's borderline mean. Yeah, it's—it it's, is—it's not appropriate. Is. its not—it's not appropriate.
2: Well, when you write an edit, when you write an obituary, you really should take into account. This is probably going to be, at least for the average person, maybe not a famous person, the last thing somebody's probably going to write about you. So usually you take more care when you write write an obituary with that in mind. You know, you're not necessarily as mean or as harsh. But with a public figure, I'm not sure the same rules apply.
1: Well, I would just say that when somebody dies and you've got to somehow... Um, in media, um, you know, so let people inform people. The information that comes about that person shouldn't also be a simultaneous cheap shot. So that's fair, and that's what this that's it, fair. and and whether this guy even understands uh, what it was, it it was it, it comes off as classless and a cheap shot. You know, you know,
2: I always thought it'd be a good radio experience that we should have done. Uh, each of us write the other's obituary.
1: Oh my God! Uh, why would you? Wouldn't that be great? No, it wouldn't be. Why not? Because <laughs> it's it's inc- it's it's grim. And I,
2: read them on the air. It's
1: morbid. I don't I don't want to write your oh, obituary. Oh come on! I don't want to write. I don't want anybody to write mine. No. <laughs> I mean, why would you even think in in those? Th-
2: because they would give you an idea of. Uh, how the other person really perceives you.
1: <laughs> I don't want to know how you perceive me. And I'll, I'll, I'll take it one step <laughs> further. I really don't care how you perceive me. <laughs> you should know that by now. But uh, actually, actually you know what? I think everybody should write their own obituaries actually, just for the heck of it. Actually, you know what? I do care what you think about me. There are a few people in my life that I care what they think about me, and I care about what, what you think about me. I actually, I actually think that you would write something very flattering. I probably would. But I mean. I would. But I think you would mean it. I know I I would, think I would too. I know I would write something very, very flattering and very honest about you. And I and there would be a lot of people that would read it and say, Well, that's not the guy I've been listening to for all these years <laughs> <laughs> And I'd say, Yeah, but you didn't sit across from him. You didn't actually know him. <laughs> All right, um, I want to get your thoughts on the Super Bowl, and we'll do that
0: right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Right now, get up to sixty percent off your Babel subscription at babel. dot com slash bluewire. That's sixty percent off at Babbel.com dot com slash bluewire. Spelled b a b b e l. dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: If you missed the show yesterday, Cool uh, and I did. A lot of nonsensical um, topics at the beginning, but when we got around to breaking down the Super Bowl, um, a lot of you enjoyed it. If you missed it, um, there was a lot in there. Um, you did not get your Super Bowl pick correct, uh, which is fine. You would Can- a little
2: bit, just just a little bit
1: outside. It was just a little <laughs> bit outside. You had Kansas City in the over, and you had this weird thirty-eight to twenty-five score. See how I remembered it? Um, uh, and for me, it was an absolute. Um, Festival on Sunday, even though even though most of you were watching a game that was just dreadful to watch. Uh, by the way, the ratings did come in ninety six point four million viewers, um, definitely down um, uh, yeah. overall. Now the game was streamed. Um, the streaming numbers were up. But the New England-Seattle game, most viewers ever in 2015, 114.4 million, uh, 96.4 million viewers for this one. I did find it interesting. I don't know if you saw this, Tommy. Kansas City, in terms of the local overnight uh, mark uh, ratings, did a 59.9. Second was Boston, which did yeah. a fifty seven overnight rating, and then Tampa came in third at a 52.3 rating. Now, we know that the Florida cities are not good sports towns, necessarily. It's still the Super Bowl, and it was the hometown team. But um, the Boston number being the second highest number, and actually being almost close to Kansas City's number, um, was, you know, obviously uh, still Brady resonates in a big way. I had um, on Friday... Um, Scott Zolak on the radio show. You know, he's part of the radio uh, broadcast team for right. the Patriots, former Terp quarterback. Um, and he was devastated. He was he was missing Brady so much and was rooting for Brady in, in a big way and really felt that most people were rooting for Brady uh, in Boston. But anyway, uh, your thoughts on the Super Bowl?
2: Well, uh, I obviously it wasn't what I expected. I didn't expect to see such a coaching disparity. I mean, I I knew that Bruce Arians was a good coach, and Todd Bowles was a great defensive coordinator, and Byron Lefkowitz is probably a very good offensive coordinator as well. I mean, I don't know how much input he really has in the offense between him and Arians, but I thought whatever they could throw at them, I thought Andy Reid and his staff could handle, but uh, they looked out of sorts. Uh, they looked like they, they, they were, were totally unprepared for what happened. and could never make any kind of adjustment to deal with it. I mean, as, 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 as cool and calm as Brady was, and he was brilliant, uh, the, and, and, you know, maybe you have to give Brady some of the credit for the coaching. I mean, he was the one who kept, tech, according to the stories, kept texting his players, his teammates every day, we can win this and here's why. He was the one who saw how soft the Kansas City defense was. They were like second to last in yards per per catch, uh, you know, defensively. So uh, I just didn't expect to see Kansas City meltdown.
1: I said to Cooley yesterday, um, and I think and he agreed with this, uh, first of all, I totally agree with you, and it was a big thing. I, I thought that Andy Reid and his staff was completely – they were completely outcoached. Todd Bowles, you know what I think of him, and I thought he was brilliant. And I thought offensively they carved up Kansas City's defense, Steve Spagnolo's defense as well. How much do you think what was going on with Britt Reid, uh, Andy Reid's son, um, and the, you know, the, the tragic situation uh, from Friday, how much was that weighing on Reid? I bet a lot.
2: It's hard not to think that that had an impact. I mean, I know CBS wanted to ignore it, but, I mean, that's all I was thinking. All I was thinking that, you know, coaches are so particular about any little thing before a game that throws off the focus of the game itself. And then you have something like this. Wasn't it, Britt Reed and, and an assistant coach as well? For
1: the Chiefs? Uh, no, I think it was just Reed in the car. Was there an assistant oh, coach okay. in the car? I thought it was just Reed. Okay, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I thought there were other, and I, others in and the as, car. And as of now, God God willing, um, you know, the five-year-old is still in critical condition, but, you know, alive. And you just have to pray that this this young girl survives. I mean, it's it's just an awful situation that had to weigh on Reed. It just had to. Uh, you would
2: think it did, but you'd also think by the by the time well, when that accident happened, that they they were, I guess, you know, they were prepared for the Super Bowl by the time the accident happened, you have to figure. But it does speak to your mentality during the game in terms of in-game judgments. Uh, I don't know. I mean, nobody knows, and we'll never know. But it that's, given Andy Reid's personal uh, family history, it's hard not to believe, that, that didn't weigh heavily on him uh, the whole weekend.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the out coached um, narrative was the in game adjustments, you know, not going to more max protection schemes for uh, Mahomes, not getting Mahomes a little bit more out of the pocket. I mean, it, it, this was, he was pressured 20 to- 29 times, most in Super Bowl history. I mean, and they just never seemed – I think they just figured, well, Paddle will figure it out. You know, he'll, he'll end up figuring it out, and he'll make a couple of plays, and he nearly did, you know, two or three times. Um,
2: yeah, he had some teammates who let him down when it came to catching the ball. No doubt.
1: No doubt. Yeah. Uh, where did you weigh in on the officiating?
2: Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was waiting for people to say, well, the league wants Brady to win. You know, the same league that – that hung him out to dry on Deflategate. Suspended now him for Brady four games. To win. Yeah, you know? So I, mean, I didn't see that too much. But Rick Goslin, one of the best NFL writers there is, uh, somebody who, who actually Belichick respects, one of a few writers he respects, tweeted this before the game. Tom Brady should be a scary sight for the AFC champion Chiefs in the Super Bowl. So should referee Carl Sheffers. Yeah. He worked two Kansas City games this season and assessed 10-plus penalties against the Chiefs in both. Kansas City only had four double-digit penalty games
1: all year. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I didn't realize was it was Rick that, that tweeted that, but I did see that. Um Yeah. Yeah, uh no doubt. I mean, it, it was tightly it was tightly called. Um Kansas City got the short end of the whistle as they say in basketball. Um but my position was uh they got their ass kicked too and it wouldn't have made it that much of a difference had they, you know, had everything been evened out a little bit from a flag standpoint.
2: It was a beatdown in every sense of the word. Yeah. It was not a, a, a enjoyable game to watch. But it, it was, it was. I guess in your position, it was an enjoyable game to watch.
1: It was, no oh. doubt. <laughs> it, it really, it was. It's hard because, you know, you're rooting. You know, as a fan, you'd like to see it to be a, a really good game. And you know, look, I remember there was a stretch. You know, in the seventies, eighties, even in the nineties, probably where the, the 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 I mean, the narrative about the Super Bowl was how boring the Super Bowl was. All, it always was. It was a it was a one sided game. It I mean, I just thinking back through um, you know. Like, the, uh, the, the Cowboys-Steelers games of the 70s were the best games. But for the most part, they were duds. They were blowouts, you know? The Raiders blowing out the Vikings. The Cowboys blowing out Denver. Um, the Raiders you know, blowing out the Eagles. And then in the 80s, with the dominant NFC teams... You know, there were wa- there weren't a lot of close Super Bowls, right? The Bears blew out the eighty five Bears blew out the Patriots, the Raiders blew out the Redskins, Washington blew out Denver, um, San Francisco, every one of their Super Bowl wins, except for their first one against Cincinnati and Ken Anderson, they were all major blowouts. They beat Denver fifty-five to ten in one of those games. Um, It it was just one blowout after another. And then, you know, I think it was, I mean, the one that I remember pretty much turned it around and all of a sudden we started getting great games was Tom Brady's first Super Bowl in the Superdome, you know, uh, 2001 season. Over the Rams, over the greatest show on turf, the walk-off field goal, and then you had uh, you had another walk-off field goal against the Panthers. You had a three-point win over the Eagles. You had the phenomenal uh, giant games against the Patriots. You know the two close ones against the Patriots. You had the thriller between the Steelers and the Cardinals. Um, You had a a great Super Bowl between the Ravens and the 49ers. You had the the Patriots-Seahawks. You had the first overtime game and the biggest comeback of all time with the Patriots and the Falcons. We've had some great Super Bowls over the last couple of decades.
2: It had had definitely trended in, in the more competitive direction. After, like you said, years of of blowout.
1: You remember Absolutely. that, right? That was always the thing with yes, the Super no, Bowl. Right. Can we get a good game? And we never did.
2: Yeah, no, you're right.
1: And, you know, this one was not a good game. <laughs> but it was good if you had Tampa in the under. That's for sure. Because you never really even sweated it. I was telling um, a really good friend of mine who uh, – who was listening to the uh, podcast and, and the radio show yesterday? And he's like, "Did you ever feel worried that Mahomes was going to do a Mahomes again?" And I'm like, "Of course I did. Of course I did. It was the Chiefs. Like they were even when they were up, you know, twenty eight to nine. I'm like, you know, they could still come back. You know, even thirty one nine when it's twenty two. I'm like, God, can you imagine if he?" Pulled the you know 22 straight points, three touchdowns with a two-point conversion, and they won by six in overtime, and the game went over. Like There were a lot of things that could have happened there. But I thought what was um, – I think I said this yesterday, but I'll, t- I'll, I'll mention it to you to see what your reaction was. I thought it was a very um, average to less than average broadcast altogether, but I thought Tony Romo was on it early, and he said, this is different. In watching the Chiefs labor, in watching them labor offensively, you know you you don't think about the Chiefs being behind and worrying about it, but this one's different. You can see it; the pressure is just too much, and they can't handle it. And they and they never and they never figured it out. You know, it would have been interesting to hear him get into a little bit more of the detail on what they could have done, like gone to more max protection or rolled them out a little bit, or gone back to just trying to run the football against a four-man front in a six-to-seven-man box. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I uh, it wasn't a great game. But it was a great result for me.
2: No, and, and, I mean, you also have to include how much of an impact. We don't know. Uh, the turf toe that Mahomes had to deal with, I think he's being operated on, like, today or tomorrow or right. something like that. Uh, although he seemed pretty mobile when he took off, we really don't know what he was going through there as well. But they, I mean, that, that's what the coaches have to prepare for. I mean, the coaches have to have to if 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 his turf toe was debilitating, they had to have known that and prepared a game plan with that in mind.
1: Do you find um, this interesting um, for any reason, yes or no, Brady? Um... Texted an apology to Teron Matthew, Honey Badger, um, for the confrontations uh, during the course of that Super Bowl. I really thought Brady should have been flagged when Matthew was flagged. I thought it was, you know, looked like offsetting, you know, unsportsmanlike conducts. Um, Matthew um, said, I've never really seen that side of him. Uh, You know, uh, Brady in his apology text to Matthew called Matthew the ultimate competitor um, Matthew said, you know, um, Brady said he told Matthew he'd watched him since his days at LSU and he praised Matthew for his heart, calling him an incredible leader, champion and class act. Brady also expressed his desire to apologize in person in the future. He said his outbursts in in an emotional moment were in no way a reflection on his feelings towards Matthew, whom he spoke of highly throughout the week leading up to the game. Matthew explained his side of the altercation, saying in a since-deleted tweet that Brady started the verbal spat when he called Matthew, quote, something I won't repeat, closed quote. What do you think Brady called Matthew? Is that interesting to you or not?
2: I don't think it it's it's a racial epitaph. If I didn't, that's what, if that's what you're saying.
1: I actually did that's not was that was not my first thought, but my first thought was that it could be in the category of something that was offensive, you know, a, 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 a Justin Thomas situation from a few weeks ago. It on, could be. You know?
2: Yeah. It 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 could
1: be. Uh
2: but uh yeah, you're right. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of a lot of that stuff
1: gets said on the field in on football games. I know. A lot of it, I know. and and it's sort of a place in which these players they don't you know they don't turn each other in more times than not in these situations. You know, it's the heat yeah. of the battle.
2: Yeah, I know. Doesn't excuse it, but it is the heat of the battle. <clears throat>
1: um,
2: Doesn't interest me that much.
1: Okay. Uh, what else did Is I have? Tom
2: Brady the greatest NFL player to ever play the game?
1: He's the most accomplished NFL player of all time. It's not even close.
2: Well, wouldn't, that, wouldn't you say that, that would make him the greatest?
1: Well, you would have to tell me, because every single time I've ever had this conversation with anybody, with any elderly people, um, they say, well, it's Jim Brown, and then you can count a couple of spots before you get to number two. Is he a better all-time and football I- player than Jim Brown?
2: And I've always said that until now. Yeah. You can't ignore the resume. You can't ignore – and, and what, what's the separator for everything about Tom Brady now is he did it someplace else. He did it right away someplace else. Right. He didn't go to play for the New York Yankees, a team that that had won, you know, 10 World Series.
1: No, but like he went that. to a stacked team. He went to a good yeah, football team. I know team. that. Yeah.
2: That, that hadn't been playing well,
1: right? They, they, uh, the
2: year before,
1: well, they went seven and nine the year before and had like five, yeah. you know, overtime losses. Or I know, I know. We think losses. seven and nine yeah. is, is, is really good <laughs> here, but, but in a
2: lot of towns, uh, it's not a great
1: record. Understood. So,
2: yeah, doing it and taking his act on the road and doing this, accomplishing what he did, is the separator to me. It's what separates him from everybody else. Um, and I'm with you. I mean, I've, I've been, always been. It's Jim Brown, and then you can stop counting after that, you know. But I mean, seven Super Bowls, been ten, seven out of ten Super Bowls. It's
1: crazy. And
2: he's won more Super Bowls than any other franchise.
1: I know more in than, the NFL more than San Francisco and Pittsburgh and New England.
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> so no, it's it, it, it's it's no longer a debate.
1: Um, the. Uh... I think, I think that there's first of all. Uh, I, I just went up and, and I looked at the New England, uh, New England, the Tampa uh, season from last year in 2019 with Jameis Winston. They were seven and nine. Seven of their nine losses were by one score or less. Um, and two of them were in overtime. Um, they really were. And I remember watching them last year saying, good God, this team can score. They're on the cusp. If Winston could just throw like one less interception a game, they'd probably be in the postseason and be dangerous. Um, remember, I, I really thought that Tampa was a possibility, you know, if, if he wanted to win and win it all. Um, and, and he, he ended up picking it. Not a lot of people had Tampa early on, but whatever. Um, He's the most accomplished team sports um, athlete, team sport athlete of all time, and I know you want to say Russell, and I'm willing to listen to, to, to you talk about Russell and talk about how only the greatest players played and how he had to overcome Wilt and all of that, and it was 11 titles, and maybe you want to throw in DiMaggio, who won nine, or Yogi Berra, who won 10, or Mantle, who won seven. I don't know. That's the list, by the way. That's the short list of players, team sport players, to have won seven or more world championships. Um, Brady, Mantle, DiMaggio, Barra, and Russell. Um, I I just think in football it's just so much harder to win a Super Bowl uh, when you're in a one-and-done environment in, in the postseason. Versus the sports where more times than not the best team wins. Certainly in the NBA. Um, But I think he's the most accomplished team sport athlete of all time.
2: Well, I don't. I still think it's Russell. You have to include the fact that Russell, before he got to 11 out of 13 championships for the Celtics, won two national championships in a row at the University of San Francisco, and an Olympic gold medal.
1: Well, yeah. So
2: I can think we can safely say <laughs> that Russell is the factor there, you know? Uh, so I, I still think he's the best. And I'll tell you what, you mentioned Yogi Bear, very underrated. I think Yogi is maybe number two or number three uh, with Brady. I mean, he went to 10 World Series, and if you think he was just a passenger on those teams – he won three MVPs. Yeah,
1: he won three MVPs. Yogi Berra did. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, he was—he is an underrated player, uh, who was—who was Casey Stengel's favorite player uh, on those Yankees teams. So I think Yogi does, does not get the attention uh, he, he deserves. Those Yankee teams were great, obviously, but uh, look, I'm willing to put Brady number two behind Russell and and Yogi number three. Uh, but I still think it's Russell. I'm not going to say you're nuts either, though, okay?
1: Yeah, I know. Um, I it's, it's It's the conversation that we had a few weeks ago about, you know, if you didn't know how many championships Brady had and you were able to watch every single game he ever played up until – you know, the AFC championship games and beyond. So you knew he got to AFC championship games in a lot of them, but you didn't know what the results were after that. I think a lot of people would say, just based on watching, you know, Elway, Marino, Rodgers, you know, on, on the quarterback uh, conversation, um, you know, Peyton or Unitas or, you know, whatever. There'd be a lot of people in the conversation with him. And I think ultimately what, you know, a lot of sports fans just don't take into consideration in these team sports as much as the people that played them and coached them is just how important the intangibles are. And Brady has intangibles off the charts. He's got an ability from a leadership standpoint, from a figuring it out standpoint, from a, you know, a competitive standpoint, all of those things to win and, and, and figure out, you know, how to win. And more than any, any winner in the history of the game. And so I, I just that that's part of it. You know, it's not just arm strength or athleticism or you know ability to, to to move or extend or whatever. You know, or clutch. You know, clutch gene versus no. Cl- it's all of the other things that contribute to winning. Character. You know, leadership, and you know, listening to those players on that team. I mean, they 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 they, they are all worshiping at the Brady altar, just like all of his well, former uh, teammates did after the game Sunday.
2: We've heard the stories, uh, and I know people get tired of it, but it's part of the Tom Brady success story. He'd be the first guy in the building working out. Yeah. The biggest star on the team. When We heard the story about Taylor Heineke when he was with the Patriots for a couple of weeks. Right. Got there at 5.30 in Brady the morning to watch there. game films, and Brady was already there watching him. So, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, he is driven. He is driven like maybe few athletes we've ever seen. You know, I mean, and and when you know when you're when you're when you're good like that, uh, people want to be around you. People want to be part of that success.
1: Yeah, and I think um, you know, and, and I get into these conversations with my um, with my my boys. Like, I I think you know. The, it's too easy to say, well, if you put Peyton with Belichick in those teams, or if you put Rodgers with those teams, or if you put Mahomes with those, or whatever, that the results would have been the same. You know, taking all of these other great quarterbacks, that you know, sometimes when you watch, you think, oh, they're better than Brady. But it's so much more than just what you're watching. It's a lot of what you don't know and what you're not watching. And I think the reaction to him is pretty amazing um, year in and year out from his teammates, the people that are closest to him, and, by the way, his competitors. You know, by the way, Cooley brought this up, something that you don't hear all the time about Aaron Rodgers. You know, you, you've heard you, you know a, a, some criticism of Aaron Rodgers' leadership in, you know, at, at various times and how difficult he can be. You know, and, yeah. and um, I don't know. I mean, there's clearly a side of this. And this is where I think the best coaches and the best general managers, it's more than just watching a shuttle run at Indianapolis. You know, you've got to find those people that are driven. You've got to find those people that love it. And that are going to be, you know, Ron Rivera said something during the regular season that I I pointed to a couple of times, your best players have to be your best workers, which is why he should have known right from the jump. And I think he did. And he should have said to Mr. Snyder, uh, first of all, he's nowhere near my best player. Secondly, he's one of my worst workers. That's not how you change a culture. I need my best players to be my best workers. And that position is crucial to have workers. And um, anyway.
2: My, uh, I'm reading a book, a collection of columns, by a great sports writer named Jimmy Cannon yep. from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And he had this line, which I posted on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, quote, football was, a- and was about Vince Lombardi. Who was all over the Super Bowl on Sunday with the with the uh, I don't know superimposed holograms or yeah, whatever they the were thing, doing? Yeah, it's the thing.
1: It's the thing they did for the Al Davis thirty for thirty. They had um, Pete Rozelle and Al Davis. Uh, yeah. The, the, have you? By the way, I, I watched that last night. I'll t- I'll tell you about it. Maybe on Thursday we can do something like that if you've got time to watch. Okay. Uh, well, you don't. Can you get the? Can you watch a thirty for thirty? Or do you still have? No. Oh Jesus. Okay, continue with well, the Jimmy... Well, I'm not
2: home. If I was home, oh, okay. I could watch it.
1: Well, you could probably watch okay? it online. Um, can you, uh, okay, I'll give it a try. Watch. I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, just tell me real quickly oh, about what... Jimmy Cannon.
2: This is Jimmy Cannon said, quote, football was a simple game as Lombardi divides his formations. It was based on character.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh... That speaks to what you're talking about. I... And speaking of character, the one thing that that one thing that we haven't even talked about with Brady. He's 43 years old. I know. I mean, nobody has done this before. And he wants to play till he's at least 45. Yeah. I mean, Of s- course he's coming back next year. Isn't Tampa the prohibitive favorite to repeat already?
1: No, they're not. Actually.
2: Wouldn't you have to make them?
1: They're not. The uh, the Chiefs are the favorites. The Packers are the second favorite. Um, I think the Bucks and the, the Bills. The Packers? Yeah.
2: Did you see who they hired as the, their defensive coordinator?
1: I did, Joe Barry. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to believe that him
2: and Todd Bowles have the same job.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: but uh, because he's 43, I wanted to point out, uh, can we do this, or do you have to take a break? No,
1: I, I know what you want to say. Go ahead. I, it's your column.
2: Okay. I, I called Monday morning the authority on senior citizen success, George Foreman.
1: And what did he say?
2: Who, turns out, is a big Tom Brady fan. He, told, he said, I told everyone that I believed he was going to win. And he talks about the power that Brady had was the power of knowledge and experience. And he compared it to his own uh, when he was 45, beating Michael Moore, uh, uh, a guy who was 19 years younger than him, to win back the heavyweight championship. This is what George said. When I was young and had all that enthusiasm, I was either guided or misguided by trainers and managers. But when I made my comeback, I was equally experienced and knowledgeable about boxing as my right. trainers were, right. they had to come to me. The coaches needed me to ask, ask. The coaches needed to ask me questions. I needed enthusiasm, but that and physical strength were last on the list. It was about like all about being a thinking man's game, like a chess game, and I was able to play it well. I mean, that's Brady. He's like a coach.
1: Well, the other. I mean,
2: we talked about Peyton for years, like a coach, but uh, you know, we never recognized that in New England. But playing for. For Bill Belichick for 20 years, some of that's going to rub off.
1: Yeah. I, look, the other part of it, too, and um, you see this sometimes with the, the greatest um, achievers, right? You see almost a narrowness to them. You know, I used to feel that way, and I think we've talked about this in the past, about Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs was so focused and so committed to his job and to winning and doing whatever it took to to do it, he had he was oblivious to things that were going on in the world around him, and they weren't even interesting to him. You know, I, I remember in the '80s, you know, he was asked who Oliver North was during one of his press conferences. He had no idea who Oliver Oliver North was during you know Iran Contra. I remember another time when Michael Jackson or Madonna or somebody was just, you know, he, he the, the name came up and he goes I don't know who that is. Um and Brady like what else is he going to do? I'm sure he's got interests and hobbies, okay? But this is what drives him. This is what makes him happy. And he just played great and won the MVP of the Super Bowl. I know. So, I
2: know. It's not like he's like this this uh this guy that they're dragging along with them—he's the—he's the driving force,
1: right? Yeah. Um, anyway, we'll take a break and be right back after this word from one of our sponsors. All right, this final segment brought to you by MyBookie. MyBookie.ag. Right now, if you go to it, you can find Tommy. You can find those Super Bowl odds for next year. Uh, yes, uh, the Chiefs are the favorites. They are five to one. Then it's Green Bay at seven to one, Tampa Bay at eight to one, Buffalo at eleven to one. Those are the current odds at MyBookie.ag. If you want to get a wager down on the Washington football team, fifty to one to win next year's Super Bowl. Um, there are. Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four NFC teams with worse odds. Okay, four NFC teams. So I mentioned this yesterday. I think with Cooley, um, Washington not getting a lot of love right now, um, from the handicappers and odds makers out in Vegas, primarily because they don't have a quarterback solution. Um, which we will get to here. Uh, momentarily. But anyway, uh, go to my bookie. They will match your deposit halfway up to a thousand dollars. My It's a reputable place. I would urge you even if you have another place to sign up for my bookie to get that deposit matched halfway up to thousand dollars You have to use my promo code, Kevin DC. All right. My promo code is Kevin DC. Uh, if you end up signing up, please use my promo code. All right. That gets, uh, that gets us a, an ongoing advertiser here, which helps us deliver this podcast, uh, um, for uh, for free, um, but anyway, uh, mybookie.ag is a reputable spot. You uh, get fair lines, fair pricing, and you get paid if you win. They've got a lot of contests. You can bet some college hoops. You can bet some NBA, NHL. They've got a live uh, casino, online casino. Mybookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin DC. So. Um, I put out this poll. We're required to put out a poll every day on Twitter. I know that you would prefer it to be on Facebook. Um, put out this poll today. Um, describe the mood of the Washington football fan base after their seven and nine playoff season, losing to the eventual Super Bowl champions. I'm sure you saw some of this on Twitter. People really excited. One,
2: one of the choices: euphoria.
1: <laughs> I know you saw some of the reaction about how excited people were um about uh losing to the eventual Super Bowl champions. Um didn't really uh move me one way or the other. Um but anyway, um it it's the the choices I put out there, all right, describe the mood of the Washington football fan base after a 7 and 9 playoff season. Apathy still checked out was an option. Skeptical, but attentive, um, meaning you're paying attention. Just couldn't fit that in, uh, to 25 characters or less leaning optimistic. And then the final, uh, option was all in again, you know, like I'm all ba- I'm all in now. Um, number one was leaning optimistic. 57.1% of the people, the respondents said that, Second was skeptical but attentive, 22.6%. Third was all in again, 14.5%. And coming in dead last by a lot, apathetic, I'm still checked out at 5.8%. And I I wanted to bring this up because I know it's not, you know, it's anecdotal, it's Twitter, the whole thing. Um, But 5.8% for apathetic still checked out. That number would have either been the highest or the second highest a year ago.
2: Oh, yeah. Look, I, 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 don't, I don't understand. You had a coach, a new coach, who was fighting cancer and a quarterback who nearly lost his leg making a comeback. You're going to pay attention. It was a hell of a story. I don't know if it was a hell of a season, but it was a hell of a story that got national attention, today's show attention. Yes, you're going to be engaged.
1: But, that's, but but it's really describing the mood after the season, as in what's your mood right now about what the team is, not about well, what you just experienced. I, I know that what you just experienced was influential uh, uh, yeah. on how you feel now, and I, I get that. W- but so let me just tell you that I am definitely leaning optimistic where last year at this time I was borderline apathetic. You know, we've always talked about, like, what, what if they turn it around? What if they actually become a contender? Will everybody be back in? I think a lot of people will be back in. Um, that's not where they are right now. But to me, the reason that people are leaning optimistic is twofold. Or I, I'm going to speak for myself on this. Number one is um, the owner's more vulnerable than he's ever been. Um, And it could potentially lead to him not being the owner anymore, which is what everybody hopes. You know, like this is the best chance, and I don't even know if it's a good chance. It's probably not a good chance, but it's the best chance of him losing the team or being forced to sell the team in 21 years of his ownership. And so, you know, on one hand, you're like, Man, wouldn't this be great if this really like this Beth Wilkinson report forced you know the league to step in? I don't want you know I don't want to lose draft choices for my favorite team, but I would love to see him be forced out. And by the way, you know, for those of you that are like, oh, that sounds kind of mean and personal, it's how most of the fan base feels. Come on, I mean, what are we talking about here? The number one wish of every longtime Washington football fan would be for Dan Snyder not to be the owner anymore. Um, it's their Lombardi Trophy. It would be the, the it would be the fourth Lombardi Trophy that yes. they could put in in the lobby. That is, he's gone. Um, the uh, The other reason is it's Ron Rivera. They have a good coach. They have a good person. They have a good leader. They have a likable coach. They also have a guy that seems to be able to. It seems to understand that there was a culture problem. And that it needed to change, and the people that he is focused on bringing into the organization are people of higher character, and by the way, better football people to begin with. So, um, I mean, look at the end of last year. Once Bruce Allen got fired, remember what a big deal that was. Uh, if I'd done the poll the day after Bruce Allen was was fired, I think people would have been more leaning optimistic. But I think yeah, for the for the most for the most part. People were, you know, like, okay, whatever, but it's still Snyder and they're going to stink. And remember, I would say more people than not weren't overly thrilled with the Rivera hire. I mean, I thought it was, you know, a, a an outkick the coverage kind of hire personally. Um, but he's not a great coach. You know, we, I, we, I took calls on this this morning and people were saying, um, you know, well, they've got a great coach. And I'm like, no, 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 they've got a good coach, a, a good coach. You know what? That's better than anything they've had in 10 years.
2: But any fan eight years. who's been paying attention couldn't have deluded them themselves into thinking a great coach would come to coach here.
1: No, that's why I think they actually got better than what they I thought they yes. would get. Yes! So, um, you know, they... <laughs> Next year, this leads into how do you keep this forward momentum going? Well, if you're Ron Rivera and you're in charge of all this, you continue to do the things that you believe will change the culture, which is you've got to hire the right people. You've got to bring in the right people that believe in your vision, believe in your culture. From a player standpoint, you got to find good players, but your best players have to be your best workers, You know, which is what he has said before. Um, you know, And then really when it comes down to it, you know, that could all lead to more competitive teams and less embarrassing teams, but they've got to get a quarterback. They have to get a yep, quarterback. They do. And so, they um, do.
2: You, you've got to keep moving forward. You can't, no matter how tough your schedule is going to be next year, you can't do the four and 12 step back again.
1: No. Um, and it's not going to be easy next year. So that, that leads to this no. final conversation for the day. Um, I had been Standing on the radio show today, and I said to him in the midst of a conversation because he was talking about sort of what he thinks the most likely and what the most unlikely things are with respect to quarterback, and I just wrote this down, and I, it's sort of how I felt in the moment. I don't think I've changed my mind. I think right now, the odds on the starting quarterback for 2021, September 2021, I think there's a 50% chance it's Kyle Allen. I think there's a 20% chance it's somebody that they trade for or sign in free agency. Uh, I think there's about a 20% chance that it's one of the other two quarterbacks that are on the roster, but that would be more of a heavy lean towards Taylor Heineke. And I think there's like a 10% chance they draft somebody and probably move up in the draft and, and pick somebody that they end up starting as a rookie. And the reason I say that is they didn't get Stafford. Stafford was the 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 guy that would have automatically come in been the been the you know the franchise quarterback for the next 3 to 5 years and there wouldn't have been a debate they tried They tried to get him. Um, They're not going to get Watson. I don't think Houston's going to trade him. I don't think they should trade him. Wentz apparently is not – they're not interested in. By the way, he wouldn't be a great culture fit necessarily for Rivera, if you believe that story from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Tommy, from about a month ago. Uh, Winston's probably going to stay in New Orleans. Cam is done. Come on. Um, And then, you know – Is Darnold even going to be traded? And then if he is going to be traded, would would Washington have the most trade for him if they were interested? You know, so it's like I look at all the possibilities and I think, you know, before Stafford got dealt, I would have said, yeah, the chance that it's going to be somebody that they trade for or sign in free agency is probably like 40%. And maybe it's 40% that it's Kyle Allen and then, you know, it's to 15% that it's Taylor Heineke or Alex Smith and 5% it's a rookie. But I, I think Kyle Allen has, you know, by the way, part of that too is that there was a report yesterday or maybe the day before that Kyle Allen really thinks he will be healthy and ready to go by training camp. They traded for him. They like him. Ron Rivera, late in the season, without any uh without being being asked about it, unsolicited, said that he thinks they would have had the same results with Kyle Allen that they had with Kyle with Alex Smith. um Alex Smith, more likely than not, is not going to be an option. He's not going to be on this roster. And I just think that the the best percent chance and it's a coin flip that Kyle Allen's the starter opening de- opening day uh, next year. What do you think?
2: Based on everything you just said, I I mean, I think you're right, but based on everything you just said, if this team makes a deal and gives away a bunch of draft picks to move up in the draft to pick Justin Fields, would you consider that an alarming sign?
1: An alarming sign? Yes. No. Why would I consider that alarming?
2: because would you think that was the what the owner wanted to do or what the coach wanted
1: to do Oh oh no I would think that that's the co- what the coach wanted wanted to Why? do because, well because I've I talked about this last week I have heard that they, are, they that there are people in the organization on the football side of the organization that like Justin Fields And the reason that uh-huh. they like Justin Fields is Um, Unlike the Ohio State quarterback that was just here, Justin Fields, by all accounts, is a tremendous high-character leader um, and getting rave reviews for his leadership ability. Now, personally, um, I thought Justin Fields at times this year looked like a guy that I would not want to be my starting quarterback. I thought he was really inconsistent. He had some bad games. Um, but then the Clemson semifinal game came, and he was brilliant in that game, and he played hurt and he was phenomenal in that game, and he threw six touchdown passes in that game and um and i, I would trust- you know I would trust them I told you i i th- I would trust them well, th- say
2: this is some, i mean how you can't have it both ways you can't think that he really likes Kyle Allen and that he
1: would trade mortgage the future. To get Justin Fields. well, you can't do both. Well, wait a minute. Hold on for a second. I know that out Al- they like uh, they like Kyle Allen, but I also know that they liked Matt Stafford more and offered Detroit a first, third, well, and maybe an a easy player choice. I'm not going to sit there and categorize the uh, – or, or try to describe the the choice. I mean, if they really like Justin Fields and there's a chance to trade up to get him, which, by the way, isn't a, a within their control situation, because if they really like him, maybe somebody else really likes him that's drafting 15 spots in front of them, so they're not going to g- have any chance to get him. It doesn't mean that they don't like Kyle Allen. Just like trying to trade that. for Stafford means that they – it's you know i'm
2: saying they do that i'm saying they accomplish what they want that with this scenario yeah it
1: wouldn't be alarming at all give up
2: well why would i don't know if there's an answer for 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 that i mean i really don't understand that after all you've been through and and to and to listen to what the to 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 tell what the coach says out of one side of his mouth and then to think he'd say yeah sure Let's trade two number ones and a number two for a chance to get Justin Fields.
1: I don't think it would be two number ones and a number two. It depends on how high well, you're going I, up.
2: I'm saying whatever you need, What the coach, the owner says, whatever you need to make it happen, I want
1: it to happen. Tommy, I don't think that's happening in this offseason. If you told me that next offseason, after a 5-11 and 11 year and terrible quarterback play from Kyle Allen and or Taylor Heineke, that, you know, or let's just say they went six and ten, um, and they ended up trading two ones to move up to number one overall to draft whomever the number one quarterback's gonna be next year. That would be much more plausible. I don't think it is right now. I think Ron's but gonna I
2: didn't ask you if you think it would happen. I asked you who would you think be behind the move if it happened?
1: Ron Rivera, Marty Herney, Martin Mayhew. Well okay. I I do this off season. I do. Kevin on line three. Next <laughs> caller, please. Kevin from Bethesda on line three. <laughs> um. Okay. What else do we have for today? I'm done. Uh, uh, you got a
2: list of things you want to get to?
1: No, I don't. I, I was going to mention. I, I don't want to talk about. Nobody gives a shit about the Washington Wizards or Maryland basketball right now. That's what I watched last night um so whatever watch the al davis 30 for 30 okay it's 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 a little bit weird but god what a story his life story is um will you try to watch that and then we can talk about that on thursday
2: i'll see what i can do you know i've got a busy schedule down here in florida i've got the pool i've got happy hour i got a lot on my agenda
1: uh you have what another week and a half before the booster shot
2: Uh, no, no, no. It's, uh, 16 days.
1: Okay. So it's just over two weeks. a booster shot.
2: All right. Uh... And and we've we've shifted gears. We're not going to, uh, Austin when we leave here. Where are you going? We're heading heading farther south to Sarasota.
1: Oh, okay. Well, Sarasota's great. Go to Ormond Circle. You can hang out, walk around. It's beautiful. Longboat Keys, just over that, you know, right, right, you know, three minutes from Ormond Circle... And it's beautiful there. Love that part of Florida. Love it.
2: Well, That's where we're heading.
1: All right. Uh, Oh, there was something I wanted to tell you about. And
2: there's something I want to talk about, too, but go ahead. Mine won't take long.
1: So last night, as I'm waiting for the Maryland-Ohio State game to come on FS1, number one-ranked South Carolina was playing number two-ranked UConn in women's basketball. And – I didn't know that it was on, um, but it was apparently a very big game, number one versus number two. And I flipped on FS1 at about 854, you know, just to see. Because whenever you play a late game, Tommy, you know, you you college basketball watchers or maybe, you know, even football watchers. But when it's on a network like FS1, you got to make sure that the game before is going to end on time so you don't miss any of the start of your game. And so I flipped it on to see if there was a game on before, and it was UConn and South Carolina. And they were coming down the stretch of regulation, and I'm like, oh, God, no overtime, no overtime, no overtime. Please, whatever you do, no overtime. (laughs) And it goes to overtime. It goes to overtime because this freshman player for UConn, her name is Paige Beckers. Okay, It's spelled Bockers, but it's pronounced Beckers. Or uh, it's 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 spelled Buckers, like B-U-E-C-K-E-R-S, But it's pronounced Becker's. Um, would that be a German name? Becker would be a German name. I don't know if that the way it's spelled. i not with the name. Okay. Um Paige Beckers is a freshman. She apparently, I guess, was the number one uh female recruit in the country last year, went to Yukon, of course. Uh, which is where Az Fudd from St. John's here locally is going to go. Az Fudd, the player of the year, um, a couple of times in high school basketball, has been, uh, you know, one of the. I've I've talked about her before. I I don't know if I've done it with you. She plays at St. John's locally. She's the number one player in America and bi- basically has been Tommy since her freshman year. Anyway, Paige Beckers last night scores the final four for UConn to force overtime. I'm like, good god, oh. I'm going to miss the beginning of the Maryland game. But then they flashed up, Maryland-Ohio State isn't going to start until 9.07 p.m. So I kept it on, and I'm watching Paige Beckers. She scores all nine points in overtime for UConn. She scored their final 13 points. And I'm watching her, and I'm like, wow, she's good. But in a way that was really, like, very um, – She she's very, like, Crafty and impatient, and, and like the kind of player that sometimes just for whatever reason it just strikes me in watching her. She she doesn't rush it. She's not overly athletic. She's not super quick. She's not super fast. She doesn't jump high. She's not super big, but she's not small either. But I'm, wa- I'm watching her, and I'm like, man, she uses a screen well. Wow, she gets space. She's very she, and and she just scored every single time. On every possession. She, she scored all nine points in overtime, and they won the game. And I didn't know who she was. I found it afterwards. She was the number one fr- uh, senior player in the country last year. She was the best freshman in the country at UConn. She became Gino Oriyama's first player in his history to score 30-plus points in three straight games. She had 31 last night. And in his description this morning, and I was reading it, and I'm looking for it right now, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it here. Um, In his description of Paige Beckers um, and her heroics over South Carolina last night, here's what he said. Okay, I I just found it. Um, Quote, she's very slow, and I say that with a high degree of appreciation. She takes her time. She's like when Jim Brown used to run. When she gets the ball, she's like, should I go to the hole or that hole or that one? What's the best decision for me right now? She waits until the absolute last minute last minute and nothing rushes her. So you can't make her play faster than she wants to play. It's exactly what drew me to watching her in overtime. Like I'm I, I, well, what drew me to watching the game was can it end please? Can we get the overtime to go quickly? But then as I was watching I was like Wow, she's really good and unique in the way she goes about it. I'll give you the example in the NBA, and I've mentioned his name many times over the years. I love how patient DeMar DeRozan is. I love the kind of scorer he is. He's incredibly patient. Nothing rushes him. He gets to his spot, and if that spot isn't a good one, he finds another one. Kawhi Leonard is very much the same way, but Kawhi's bigger, longer, more athletic, the whole thing. DeRozan's sort of a better example for this Paige Beckers. But anyway... Uh she's apparently spectacular and she was fun to watch in the overtime. And I didn't miss the beginning of the Maryland game. So there. What was the thing you had?
2: Well, I'll have to watch her. Sounds like a lot like the Tom Laverro game on the court.
1: Yeah, it does. So, although uh... <laughs> although you weren't much of a scorer. No. No, I
2: was not. But uh I want to remind everybody that they could read my column about George Foreman and Tom Brady. <laughs> on the Washington Times website, washingtontimes.com. Click on sports, and also the column I'll have tomorrow about Marty Schottenheimer as well.
1: Um, I will definitely read that, and we'll see what uh, Terrell and Sam Shade said about him. Um, All right. Uh, Maybe we'll title this show LeVar Arrington. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great day, everybody.